Nick Bob Podcast. I am recording this. It is Saturday, April 16th. It's about 1.30 in the afternoon. And i uh, got a good solo pod dialed up. It's just me and you. So sit back, relax. Let's talk some Husker football because we've had pretty much an exact week to let the dust settle from the conclusion of Nebraska spring football and the spring games in the rearview mirror. And I got 10 Husker spring football spring game thoughts on my mind. So let's go. Let's do this. Thought number one is this. You know, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to think about, okay, I want to put a bow on the spring game in, in one way or another. And the thing I kept arriving back at is the fact that, oddly enough, the most pressing topic in my mind coming out of the spring game was the format of the spring game itself. Like, I couldn't, any any direction I was going, I kept coming back to that. Now, Bo and I talked about the no-tackling format to start our spring game recap pod uh, that that we, we have on the podcast feed that you guys should go check out. Uh, so, we, we talked, we spent a good 15 minutes talking about that, and obviously... We were a lot like a lot of you were. We were very disappointed once the game started that was going to be that there was no tackling. And listen, I get where the coaches are coming from to a certain extent, but at the same time, I kind of have two prevailing thoughts with with that. I am glad that we have gravitated out of the Stone Age of you know we're going to do three hour two a day Oklahoma drills every single day type practices. No water, rub some mud on it, rub some dirt on it. If you're seeing stars, that's a that's good, right? Like I'm glad that we've gravitated out of that, and I'm glad that coaches are a lot more conscious of players' health and you know their health and their bodies and all that. But I also think in certain instances you can kind of swing too far the other way. At at here, here's the thing that that I talked about with Bo, and it bears repeating in terms of it not tackling in the, in the spring game. At some point in spring practice, over the course of 15 practices, they tackled. They went live. So here's where the logic kind of falls apart for me. Why, why is it safe to tackle and go live in practice number seven, number eight, number nine, whatever it was, but not in practice number 15, the spring game? Like, I, I, that's where I kind of go, well, wait a minute now. Like, at some point you have to tackle because at some point you have to practice football. So I don't like, and I can hear Nick. What if what if Ramir Johnson gets hurt in the spring game? Well, Thomas Fedoni got hurt in spring practice. What's really the difference? Because I've heard some of the oh man, imagine if someone would have really gotten hurt on on Saturday in the spring game. Well, people have gotten hurt in spring practice. What's the difference? We didn't see it. The reality is, like yes, you 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 got to be smart, but you can get hurt at any time, and injuries happen. Now, th- this isn't a license to just, like I said, go back to the Stone Age and line people up and have them just, you know, go at it and live the whole time. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Now, is some of this coming from a selfish place of wanting to see the players go live and, and play legit real football? Yeah, probably on some level. Like, yeah, on some level, there was a little bit of selfishness with all of us that was we all sat down, we were fired up. I'm like, okay, here we go. Trey Palmer, Anthony Grant, Casey Thompson, here we go. I want to see what Tommy Hill can do. Let's and then the first then it's not they're not tackling, you're like, oh man. So yeah, on some levels it's coming from a selfish place. 
yeah, I mean, maybe. But I just think it's interesting to critically think about in a lot of ways. But my big my big thought is this. I really wonder what the future of the spring game looks like moving forward. And as Bo said it on, on my pod, and I agree with him, like if if 54,000 people show up, what do you owe them? Do you owe them? Like, do you, owe, you, you, you don't owe them anything? I mean, 54,000 people showed up. What, do you owe them something? You owe, you owe them to kind of put on a show? Because to me, there's no doubt there were a lot of disappointed fans watching that once they realized it was no tackling. One of the most interesting and telling things this week. So, go, going to get my hair cut. I, you know, I go to this this same. She she's awesome. She she's great. She's been cutting my hair for gosh a little over a year now. Ever since I I found her moving back to Lincoln here, but every once in a while, you know, she knows you know what I do for a living in the podcast, covering Husker football, all that stuff. And I thought it was interesting that one of the first things she said to me, she goes, oh, I, I've 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 heard that the spring game was just it was it was really boring for everyone." And I thought, man, if that's what she's hearing, that's telling. Because I do think there was, there was a there was a, a lot of the air went out of the stadium and of the excitement once they realized there was no people realized there was no tackling. I mean, this was this felt like the biggest dud of a spring game in the past two decades. And so, what does the future of the spring game look like? Because it's now two straight years of no tackling with the top guys in in the in the first half of the spring game. And here here is the conundrum. Of the moment. The spring game is a big recruiting weekend. It's a huge recruiting tool, huge recruiting weekend. I think Nebraska had an enormous amount of recruits in for visits on spring game weekend going to going to the to the game. And a big part of that recruiting pitch is the fan and attendance turnout. Look at this, man. We get 54,000 people at our spring game. We get 77,000 people at our spring game. At our spring game. So how do you maintain that, that big part of what the recruiting pitch is with the fan attendance without playing legit real football? I think that's a real question. I think that's a, that's a real question. Because if it's going to continue to be no tackling and the game is on TV, I think you're going to see attendance kind of decline. Now, a part of all this could could come back to just winning in the fall. Like if Nebraska is winning division titles and they're you know they're they're back to winning eight, nine, ten plus games a year, maybe it doesn't matter. Fans are coming no matter what because people are just just all in on Husker football again. But I'm I'm not so sure with the spring game. So I'm just what do you owe the fans that actually do come? How do you assure that they still want to come because it's a big part of the recruiting pitch for when you bring these players or recruits on on campus for their visits during the spring game? Like how do you there's a conundrum there. Like a lot of different things coming at coming to a head there. I'll be really really interested to see what the future of the spring game looks like. And speaking Thought number two here. Speaking of the of the future format of the spring game, I've read I've I've read and heard some people suggest or throw out the idea of hey maybe power conference teams 
instead of having a spring game scrimmage, they could bring in an FCS or an, you know, like an NAIA team, NAIA team in for a game. So Nebraska would host like UNK or something like that on in early April or mid-April or maybe Bethune-Cookman type of team or something like that. My first thought on that is no way. That's my first thought. Of, ah, I don't see that happening. Because when, when you, we talk about this future of the spring game, like I look at it as like a fork in the road. Like, And of the two directions, the future of the spring game going, I see, unfortunately, it more going to a midnight madness college basketball type of event than – in, in then in the direction of like an outside opponent coming in for a game. Of the two directions, that's the direct. I see it more of like kind of gravitating towards like a midnight madness type thing. I see it becoming more of a you know seven on seven celebration fun type thing than it being like a legitimate football game. That that's how, now. Don't get me wrong. I'd be pumped. I, I'd watch and be pumped if if an FCS or any sort of outside opponent was coming in to play a legitimate game, I'd be excited. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd be really, really excited. I'd be more excited to see that than no tackling. But I just, I don't know, I just don't see that really happening. But what's, what's, what's so interesting, and frustrating is maybe not the right word, but what's so interesting is I would think there is real value for the players, for the coaches, for the team in having a spring game in front of a crowd to see kind of how players react, how your team reacts, and how they handle the environment. Like, guys, I'm telling you, there is something to seeing how guys handle 50, 60, 70,000 fans in the stands, and they got to go play. Like, I would think you could learn something about your players in that spot. So... I see value in the spring game in a lot of different ways. But, you know, with the game on TV and the, the you know, the fishbowl media and social media coverage of of it, like there's where scrutiny is going to be prevalent and all that, or anointing is going to be prevalent and all that. And then obviously the fear of injuries being prevalent. Like, I guess I can see how some coaches mix all that up and and worry about all those things. So, because, you know, with the other thing I was thinking about is I wonder if for your top guys, if it's like a wasted practice day, too. You know, think about that. Like, Casey Thompson. Think about Casey Thompson. Transfer, odds-on favorite to be the starting quarterback. Really, uh, are the most important Husker for next year's success, arguably. He's had 15 practices to try to hit the ground running in a in a lot of different ways. Saturday the, the spring game was one of those 15 practices for him. We he played three series through four passes. So I wonder like and he's just one of the top guys I'm throwing out there. I mean is it a I, I wonder if it's a, a wasted practice day in some ways. Like again, you only get 15 of these things. You only get 15 spring practices and that spring game is one of them. Take everything else away. Just you kind of ask yourself, okay, was that maximizing that practice day? And that's something Steve Sipple's been talking about, been writing about, just the urgency and like you with all the new and all that stuff, like, man, you got to really hit the ground running and make every day count. 
And while I don't think that's, you know, the spring game, unless I don't think it was worthless or whatever, but I also don't know if I see it as maximizing the day and the opportunity either. Thought number three. This is a, this one is quick. I, I will say this selfishly. I love that the spring game is on TV now because for me, I care enough to watch it on TV but I'm not sure I care enough to physically go to the spring game. Am I the only one that's in that in that boat still? Like, I, I think there are a lot of people that are probably thinking like me. Like, I think there is a general curiosity for people. So watching it on TV is is perfect for scratching that curiosity itch. Like, again, I care I care enough to want to watch it on TV, but I don't know if I care enough to actually like physically go and and park and walk in and sit down in Memorial Stadium and watch the game. But what's also a weird dynamic is the spring game being televised was probably one of the first big dominoes in the structure of the spring game changing. Like, coaches are paranoid creatures to the umpteenth degree, and they don't want to put anything on film that helps an opponent at all. And even even though it's just the spring game, you better believe that with these games televised and with how massive these film departments are now and how easy it is with with synergy and huddle and, and all that stuff it is to access and cut up and watch film and all that stuff, coaches having the game on TV now makes them probably want to hold a ton back, which then can make the game far less interesting. I mean... I totally get why Scott Frost and Mark Whipple would want to put absolutely nothing on film for the spring game. I completely understand that. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by my good friends at Runza. You know, a few things make me more proud than the fact that Runza supports my podcast because as a Nebraskan, I've been a Runza fan my entire life. I lived down the street from a Runza growing up. was a blast to go there as a kid. Sometimes I'd even ride my bike there with my buddies. I vividly remember one of our very first elementary school field trips was to Runza. Everyone loved it. I remember going to Runza in high school for lunches with all my high school friends. And I've told you guys this, one of the happiest days at Kansas my freshman year was discovering a Runza in Lawrence, Kansas, it was like finding a little slice of home when I was away from home. And now as an adult, it's great to share runs with my kiddos who absolutely love the deliciousness of Runza. It's a little Runza story from yours truly. And you know what the menu is. Just outstanding, amazing Runza sandwiches. Oh my gosh, a piping hot cheese Runza. Mmm, that sounds good right now. Incredible burgers. The best fries on the planet. The salads are great, especially the Southwest chicken salad, my personal favorite. It's just awesome food. So whether it's lunch, dinner, a little snack, doesn't matter. Runza is the spot. You need to go download the mobile app. It's in the app store. You can order ahead, skip the line, plus you can earn rewards as well. Runza Makes it all better. One of the biggest things they got going for them, they being Nebraska, is the element of the unknown with Whipple coming in as the offensive coordinator. And then you got some new personnel as well, obviously. So I completely get why Nebraska would want to put nothing on film. But maybe, maybe they are more apt to show stuff 
if it isn't, you know, if it's a non-televised scrimmage. Like, if that game is beachy, in, there's no beachy in there, it's not on TV, the only people that are there that can watch are the 50,000 fans that are in there, that's it. Like, maybe maybe Mark Whipple and, and Scott Frost are more apt to be like, all right, we can work on some things, we can show some stuff. Maybe not, they're not going to break out the whole playbook, right? Who knows? I just, so it, there's kind of an interesting dynamic between those two things. I just know for my current state, I really, really love the game, that the game is on TV. I care about it, but not enough to want to actually go. So it's it's perfect that it's on TV. So shout out to BTN. But the game, the spring game being televised is one of the more, un, like it's a big, that's a big thing, a big domino, a big change in the alteration of like, the, just the inherent nature of the spring game. Because you get some people like, ah, oh, back in the day, they just scrimmaged and did what they needed to do and all this stuff. Like, well, I mean, foot, the game being on TV changes the, changes the dynamic quite a bit. Thought number four, sticking with the spring game and spring football. In my opinion, usually on just the, the football calendar, usually... The two biggest weeks of Kool-Aid chugging on the calendar for Husker fans are the week leading up to the first game of the season. There's usually, if you go to the grocery store, they are out of Kool-Aid because everybody has just bought it up and they are chugging it. Because when the, the the season's about to start, everybody's like, oh yeah, God, Nebraska's back, baby. Big 10 champs, it's happening. So the week leading up to the first game, one of the biggest weeks for Kool-Aid chugging for Husker fans. And then the other biggest week for Kool-Aid chugging is usually the week after the spring game. Usually there's a lot of a, a lot of hype, a lot of optimism, a lot of hope, a lot of Kool-Aid chugging. And what's interesting is it kind of seems like this is the least amount of Kool-Aid chugging I've sensed from the fans after the spring game. In a long time. And I, I would I would think you chalk it up to three things. The first one being four straight losing seasons. Four straight losing seasons is gonna is gonna curtail your your Kool-Aid chugging in a variety of ways. The the second thing is you have five new coaches and you're going to have a new quarterback. So it's a lot of new, so you don't even necessarily know how to sink your teeth into all that. And then the third thing is the structure of the spring game. Where it was hard to it was hard to really conjure up any sort of, hey, look at that. Like it was that was challenging. Hey, this guy, baller, first team all Big Ten. This guy, first rounder, he's amazing. I think all those things have led to what feels like kind of an a pretty it's been pretty low in terms of the hype and buzz coming out of spring football. Just interesting. I get it. I do because it's it's hard to it's it is hard to know what to make of this situation right now because you didn't learn much. You didn't really learn anything from the spring game. It is shaping up to be pretty much a brand new team and situation in in some ways where you're going to have a new quarterback, a new running back, a new wide receiver leading the way with a new offense, a new play caller. Plus, you're coming off a 3-9 and nine season 
and you know, four, four straight losing seasons under Frost, I think that has, a, that has a lot of fans a little perplexed as to how much Kool-Aid to chug or whether to even drink Kool-Aid at all right now. Just interesting. I, I, I just feel like this is this is the most unique. It's, it's one of the most unique things in terms of how it's felt surrounding Husker football right now. Like this week usually is Kool-Aid week. And I just I haven't felt much chugging around here. This is usually sunshine and sunshine and rainbows time. And while I don't think fans are doom and gloom necessarily by any means, I don't I don't necessarily get that vibe. The usual ab- abundant optimism feels just a little bit less widespread, which is interesting. Now, when you critically think about it, it kind of makes sense. But nevertheless, it's interesting. Thought number five. <laughs> what's 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 funny about all this though and and getting into this thought here maybe shines a light on how silly everything I've just talked about actually is and I know there there is an element of like I know everything I'm talking about is silly but but what's funny about all of this is if I had to write down my top 5 most memorable spring game moments over the last 20 years it's kind of telling in how not important the spring game really is in a lot of ways. Like, like when I when I just think of the spring game, this is the way I did it. I just was like, okay, I'm going to think of the spring game. What are the top five things that kind of just pop into my mind over the last 20 years? The first thing, here they are. Number one, Bill Callahan's first play at his inaugural spring game where we had, everybody remembers he had all this pre-snap, tight end over shifting pre-snap motions and it got a huge roar from the crowd. That's that's one of the first moments that popped in mind. The second moment, probably the best moment, the Jack Hoffman touchdown run, just an incredible moment. The third moment, Bo Pelini walking out of the tunnel with a cat. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, he had the cat. He was holding with a kind of a wink and a nod to the fake Bo Pelini on Twitter. And then I guess the only other football ones would be Jamal Turner scored a touchdown on like a skinny post and he did like a flip into the end zone. And the the Jamal Turner stock soared at that point. I mean, everybody was like, move over Irving Fryer, move over Jerry Rice. Jamal Turner is going to Canton, Ohio. But I remember that vividly. And then the other... The other memory I have is like I do remember going, "Whoa, Taylor Martinez is fast!" Like the first time I watched Taylor really like sprint in the spring game, I was like, "Whoa, that that's that is something." But that would be it. Those are the five <laughs> five things that pop into my mind. That that would be it. Basically, none of them had to do with any real concrete football stuff that translated into the fall at all. I guess Taylor Martinez's speed did. Jamal Turner, I think one of the things that the Jamal Turner thing did is it it got the it got the hype and the the bar for Jamal Turner to to reach probably just like way too high. But it's just interesting to think about in hindsight. And maybe you guys are different than me, but when I go, okay, past 20 years, kind of go to that file in your brain, like big spring game moments that stick with you. Like those are Bill Callahan's first play, Jack Hoffman's touchdown run, Bo Pelini with a cat, Jamal Turner flipping in the end zone, Taylor Martinez, how fast he was when I first saw him run. Like, yeah, that'd be it. Just interesting to think about in hindsight. And it helps gives you pers- some perspective on this spring game. 
right? But to me, this was this was kind of a dud of a spring game, but nevertheless, when those are my five biggest spring game memories, you take everything with a grain of salt, right? All right, let's get into more of some like legit hard-hitting things here. Thought number six. With, with everything you're thinking about with spring football and the spring game, I do think it's important to stop and kind of reset everything. And while I do think everything I just kind of laid out was was all accurate and true and all that stuff. I also think at the same time, when when you, I think it's important to think about this because there are kind of checkpoints for you know the calendar for the football season progressing up to the year. When you think of the task and situation at hand that Frost had to deal with from the end of last season till now, in coming out of spring football, Scott Frost, in my opinion has done a really, really good job of giving this whole situation the best possible chance to work and to be successful. Scott Frost really had his back against the wall big time after the season. And it it bears repeating, I've talked about this before, but it, it bears repeating that there was a version of this whole situation that saw Scott Frost with some really average coaches coming in here and a really shaky quarterback situation as well. There was a version where you, you the running backs coach going out, the wide receivers coach going out, the O-line coach going out, Adrian Martinez going out. There was a version where then you took stock into and thinking about what came in to replace all that where you go, ugh, ugh. All you can ask for in life is to give yourself the best possible chance for success. That's it. And in my opinion, all things considered, I think Scott Frost did that over the last five months. I really do. Mark Whipple, veteran coach, proven offensive coordinator, just recruited, developed, and coached a Heisman candidate first-round quarterback pick in, in Kenny Pickett. Mickey Joseph, former player, elite recruiter at LSU, has already helped land some top talent, top end talent in Lincoln. Brian Applewhite, by all accounts, has really, really steadied that running back room in the right direction. Donovan Riola, brother, is one of the best offensive linemen ever at Nebraska. His nephew's a five-star quarterback recruit who Nebraska is recruiting, and there were reports that the offensive line had a pretty darn good spring. And then Bill Bush is a dedicated special teams coach, which has been sorely, sorely needed. So those coaching hires, in my opinion, all things considered, pretty dang good, giving Frost the best chance for this thing to work. And then there is the quarterback situation. With Adrian Martinez walking out of the door, there was no guarantee, regardless of what you thought about Adrian Martinez, there was no guarantee that Nebraska was going to find a situation that was was good at quarterback now. And while there are no guarantees, to land two quarterbacks in the transfer portal with the raw talent of Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy, that's pretty good. Casey Thompson, starting experience under his belt at Texas, Led the Big 12 in touchdowns, touchdown passes, an older and mature guy. Chubba Purdy, Mark Whipple really likes him, former four-star guy. And quite frankly, he impressed me the most in the spring game in terms of all the quarterbacks I saw. So again, all things considered, pretty good job by Scott Frost. I was just, I was watching the spring game 
And since the game itself was a dud, I found myself thinking about how how Frost has kind of navigated all the changes over the course of the last five months or so. Again, all you can ask for in sports and in life is to is to do what you can on the front end to give yourself the best the best possible chance for success. In my opinion, Scott Frost has done that. Will it work? Who knows? Who knows? But I think Frost has done a good job bringing in some new blood in crucial spots. Again, there was a version of this thing where it was like, they brought in who is an offensive coordinator? They brought in who is a coach? The running back? Who's the wide receivers coach? Who's the quarterback? What, who'd they get in the portal? They got who? Uncle Rico? <laughs> like there, there was a version of this where you're like, oh, boy. To go get Mark Whipple, Mickey Joseph, Casey Thompson, Chubba Purdy, like, that's not bad. That's not bad. It, I just always think it's important to kind of reset everything when you get past these certain checkpoints, right? Just past spring ball, stop, really think about from the end of the season till now, not bad, all things considered. Not saying it's guaranteeing a, you know, tons of success in the fall. Who the hell knows? I just think all things considered, pretty good job by Scott Frost. Pretty good job. Thought number seven. You know, it's human nature as a fan or someone covering the team to 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 get seduced and caught up in the new players in in spring ball and and heading into a year before the season. Like I, it, it is right. It's it's easy to be consumed with the new faces on the roster. And listen, I'm 100 percent guilty of that. I'm pumped for Casey Thompson, Trey Palmer, Grant, Purdy, Tommy Hill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I am pumped. But for as much as we think about what Nebraska needs, and they certainly do need some of those newbies that I just named to come in and make a big impact. I mean, Nebraska probably needs newcomers to lead the team in passing, rushing, and receiving. You all, you also, obviously, need a returner or two or three to make a huge leap from good to great or okay to good. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that – has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. When you think about it, players like JoJo Doman, Cam Taylor-Britt, Cam Jurgens, Austin Allen, those guys all made leaps as returning guys at some point where it's easy to get seduced in who, who's the new guy coming in. Well, 
For all the new, like, you know, it was pretty damn good last year. Jojo Doman was pretty damn good. Who, who's new? Who's new? You know who's good? Austin Allen was good. He was on the roster. He got better. He took a big step. And with that said, the guy that I'm most excited about on that front is Garrett Nelson. I know it was no tackling, and I know I kind of ripped on the format and of it all over the course of the this whole pod for the vast majority of it. But I thought the most impactful guy on the field in that first half of that spring game was Nelson. He just he had the look and the feel of a guy that is having a big offseason and is a great candidate for making that leap. Now, don't get me wrong, Garrett Nelson was a good player last year, but there's certainly room to grow. Sometimes we get so fixated on the the next player that we forget about the importance of the development of the players that are already have been on the roster, have been in the program. Sure, Nebraska needs O'Shawn Mathis, the coveted pass rusher in the transfer portal that Nebraska is, is hoping to be able to land. Yes, they, they, they need someone like that bad, right? And they need Trey Palmer to, to make an enormous impact. All that, I get it. But Nebraska also needs a player like Garrett Nelson to make a big leap into an all-Big Ten caliber outside linebacker, edge rusher, playmaker on defense. And I just, with understanding that, I felt I felt great about Garrett Nelson coming out of the spring. Like, if there was Garrett Nelson stock right now, I'd buy it. I would absolutely buy some, some Ultimate Warrior Garrett Nelson stock. Thought number eight. So, naturally, this is really with all football, but especially with the spring game, given the nature of the situation, naturally the quarterback spot is the position – of the most interest 99.9% of the time. And this situation at Nebraska, in particular the spring game, was no different. The quarterback was the number one thing people were watching for. You have a four-year starter in Adrian Martinez leaving. Who's next up? Who's going to who, – what do those guys look like? What does Casey Thompson Chubba Purdy look like? And while we're all – we are all starving for takeaways and something to chew on with that quarterback position – I'll give you some food for thought on that quarterback situation. And this took some some that's why it's nice to to let a few days go by and think about it and and even talk to some other people about it with the spring game and Husker football or just really any event in sports. And I arrived at this. You know, sometimes coaches tell you things without actually telling you. Sometimes the actions of a coach will tell you a lot. I think the fact that Casey Thompson only played three series, he only played in three series, and only threw four passes, actually tells you a lot about how the coaches feel about Casey Thompson in that quarterback spot. Frost can say he's not naming a starter and all that stuff. And listen, that's it's fine and it's fair and it's the right way to go. And we can walk away from the spring game, like I did, feeling impressed with what Chubba Purdy looked like. But the fact that Casey Thompson 
only played three series and was done was more telling than anything physically done in the spring game in terms of that quarterback spot. To me, only playing Casey Thompson three series and having him throw only four passes tells me the coaches feel pretty darn good about Casey Thompson. Because it's, you know, Bo and I in our spring game recap pod both walked away feeling impressed with Chubba Purdy and and even speculated that maybe at some point next year we wouldn't be surprised if Purdy maybe starts a game, blah, 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 blah. And while all that might be true, I'm not ready to completely move off of that. Who the hell knows? The more the dust settled from the spring game and the more I thought about it, I think the fact that Casey Thompson only played three series and threw four passes tells you more about how the coaches view the quarterback situation right now than anything the coaches actually told you about the quarterback situation in a press conference throughout the postgame spring game press conference or any media sessions over the last month. Again, sometimes coaches tell you quite a bit without actually telling you where their actions will reveal quite a bit. The fact that it was like Casey Thompson, three series, he's out. It tells you they feel pretty good about that dude. Thought number nine. You always got to kind of have fun with this, even though you feel like of the vast majority of the time, the the new name coming out of spring doesn't necessarily always reveal it, it, is always still prevalent in the fall. But to me, the name to remember from this spring game and spring ball, in terms of that spring football off the grid guy, is A.J. Rollins, the tight end. He had the best catch of the day. And I tell you what, he kind of passes the eye test, doesn't he? He kind of he kind of looks the part. Moves pretty well, big body. And given the injury situation with Fedoni and Austin Allen's departure and then, you know, guys like Vokalek and Hickman and Brewington being out for spring, that tight end situation is in an interesting spot where they kind of need a new name to rise up and step up. And maybe that guy is AJ Rollins. I think he is the spring football riser and kind of name to remember coming out of spring. And the 10th and final thought is just on a, on a broad sense of like, hey, what do, I, what do I feel good about? What am I concerned with? I mean, you, we could do a whole other pod on those things, but if I had to nail it down to kind of two things each, just, just specifically with the spring, We'll start with with concern. Like what I'm concerned with is Xavier Betts leaving the team is a real like we can poo-poo that all we want or try to go ah whatever. Ah, I mean that's a he's a talent, really talented player. He was a deep ball threat. He also was a local kid, Bellevue West. Like him leaving the team is is concerning. It's concerning. You you need. Nebraska needs somebody with some great vertical speed, and Xavier Betts is the best guy in the roster with that. So him leaving the team, and then it sounds pretty bleak that he's going to come back, that's not good. That's concerning. Then the other concern is just, I wrote down the trenches. Incredibly thin on the defensive line, where they're probably going to hit the portal and bring in a couple of guys. 
And I still feel like the offensive line has to prove it to me. Like, I know there were some good reports, more pop, all that stuff in spring uh, with the new coach, with Raiola, all that stuff. But it lost its best offensive lineman in Jurgens. Now, to be fair, when you don't have your probably your best offensive lineman currently right now in Prohaska not out there, everything's going to look a little different. But there's concern there. If you If you are vulnerable at all in the trenches in the Big Ten West, good luck. And right now, I hate to say, I feel pretty vulnerable at those spots. Just defensive line, definitely, and then just the O-line's got a lot to prove. The O-line still has a lot to prove. And then what I feel good about, this is the, the first thing I wrote down, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I just, and it, I j- literally just said this a little bit ago, but I just, I think it's, I have to say this first, like I feel good about the new coaches and the two new quarterbacks. That's a big deal. Not saying this is the dream team staff and Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy or Tom Brady and Peyton Manning now in Lincoln or anything like that. I just feel good about the two new quarterbacks. I feel like those pretty you, you give you've given yourself options there, and then I really like the offensive coaches, Mickey Joseph, Mark Whipple. Like I really like those guys, the feel of those guys, the impact already with those guys. And then I like the linebacker trio core of Reimer, Henrich, and Garrett Nelson. Two inside guys, one outside guy. I feel I've, Those are three pretty dang good players. And three guys that got some experience where you lost a lot of impactful guys. Stilly, Daniels, Cam Taylor-Britt, JoJo Doman. Deontay Williams, Markel Dismuke, you lost a lot of returning veteran dudes on that side of the ball. And now, to me, the core of that of that side of the football, to me, is are those three guys. Reimer, Henrich, Garrett Nelson. Reimer, Henrich, Garrett Nelson. I like those guys quite a bit. So the, the, that would be something I'm feeling pretty good about. That would be something I'm feeling pretty darn good about. All right, there you go. 10 post-spring football slash spring game thoughts for you. Reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you do. Just click that subscribe button. really helps me out. You can leave a five-star rating and review. You can email me, nick at nickbod.com as well. Probably we'll be firing up some mailbags soon. So uh, get your thinking cap on. Maybe even a, a wine a wine pod mailbag combo. Who knows? We can do whatever we want. It's the beauty of, of podcasting. I appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate the support. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Huda Media Production.